Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And Fred was just telling me about his idea for a hierarchy of skill sets or knowledge or learning for on how to become a great reliability engineer. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it, we work and I when I was putting it together, it's like, well, this works across pretty much any engineering is and so but I sent it over to you and, and, and to Carl just to get your thoughts or ideas. It was just a, I don't know, I was sitting there going, hmm. I was looking at the taxonomy for the body of knowledge. I was looking at the website and some of the things I'm trying to do with that. And then I'm like, hmm, I need to, here's so, how could we organize this in a different way? What hmm. What's the cascade of these things that, because one of the things I've always run into is that, um, there's a spectrum of of on any of the methods or tools that we use. So, so like accelerated testing. There's the absolute complete novice that doesn't know nothing about ALT. And I was there. I had no idea you could do a test that cheats time. And and I'm not even on that chart yet. Then I learned a little bit. Now I'm dangerous. I can do mm-hmm. ones that I have good examples for or that I'm lucky that the assumptions line up with what's in reality for what I was working on, you know, and I can make some progress. And then you dive into a little bit deeper and you go, hmm, this doesn't quite fit. I need to learn some more. There's another corner case. There's another aspect of it. I need some advanced skills. And it's still accelerated testing, but it's now I'm doing degradation testing, for example. And it's a little right. different than right. a basic uh type of test. And then it's, well, I I need to know that what I'm doing is actually useful. So now I'm starting to pay attention to when I'm setting up a, an accelerated test is who needs what information and by when. How is this mm-hmm. going to help people make a better decision? What's the value that this is going to provide? And being able to connect those things. So I design and implement a ALT that actually is useful. The first one I did wasn't all that terribly useful, by the way. Um, my first plan wasn't useful. And then my boss said, no, 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 you have to have it done by Tuesday, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, um, in six months. He gave me six months. And and then the third part is you got to be able to communicate it to other people. What is this activation energy thing that I was relying on? And where did that number come from? And what's the math behind this? What assumptions am I making? How do I convey this technical information in a meaningful way to the rest of the stakeholders. And then the top of this structure is being able, and I called it empathy, but I'm not really sure that that's the right term. It's is being able to communicate in such a way that you understand what the other person needs and how do you understand what their values are what's of value to them, what, how, how are they making their decisions so you can f- provide information that's meaningful and useful for them at the right time in the right place in the right way. Um, uh, understanding business and customer objectives and, and, I mean, not just knowing that they're on a piece of paper, but understanding them. And so it's mm-hmm. that top level to what makes it. So that, in a nutshell, is what I'm thinking of is this is hierarchy of um, engineering capability. 
I don't. And I've been thinking about something which you're going to tell me if it's in the same industry of your thought process or completely irrelevant. But I've been really trying to simplify messaging. And I think that, and I've been thinking about this from the perspective of leadership as well. Mm-hmm. I think there are lots of great leaders out there who don't have the nat- the textbook qualities of leadership that you'll often read about. Um you think about Steve Jobs, he was a difficult man to work for. And I'd argue that no contemporary leadership book has really come to terms with the fact that this man who was so flawed in terms of modern ideas of leadership was actually able to turn around a struggling company really quickly. And it was came down to him and his vision. I'd argue that there are plenty of World War II generals, for example, who don't satisfy contemporary ideas of what a good general needs to be. They were, to be honest, pains in the backside mm-hmm. personally, but they were really good at what they were doing and they were undeniably great leaders. Um, but it, for me, it comes down to being able to simplify, really simplify what it is you're there to do. So Steve Jobs, he was able to simplify uh, he said, instead of trying to design 130 different pro- uh, products, you guys are going to come up with four. And this, the, the key thing is we're going to put computer technology onto something that c- customers didn't even know was a thing right. and come up with smartphones and stuff like that. Um, it, there's, the, you, you, can, you, have the, you can have these, in some cases, deeply flawed humans turn out to be, in, term, in, in, term, in terms of being measured, sorry, in, when their organizations are measured in terms of success, they are undeniably great leaders because it was their personality which got, or what they brought to the organization which essentially changed the entire culture. Um, where, I, where I'm going with this is I think that a lot of organizations and people need to have an identity. And I um, I know you live in California and I don't know how, how into bas- basketball you are, but it, What's happening with the LA Lakers right now is a case of a team that has lost its identity. And for those of you who don't follow sports, LA Lakers has LeBron James, arguably great, one of the greatest players of all time. It has three other players who are in the top 75 players all time on their roster. Um, and they suck. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> And two years ago, they won the championship. And what you, you can you can dissect everything, and there's lots of cultural. There's a good case study culturally. But two years ago, when they won the championship. Their identity was defense. They won their games based on defense. Defensive minded coach. Everyone knew their role. Had the players to do it, and then it allowed the talents of those those stars on the team to then uh, overwhelm the opponents. Right now. They can't even spell defense, and they've lost it. And if you, I, I like using sporting analogies because Johan Cruyff, who is one of the greatest football players, soccer players of all time, he he popularized this idea of total football. And the idea of total football is that yes, you'll start off in a certain position on the field, but you need to be able to play the position adjacent to you, so that person can then have the flexibility to see if there's an opportunity. Uh, to move into a, an area of the field that is not there, it's called textbook spot, they can do that and know that you're going to cover their spot. And all that 
this opens a wonder, up all sorts of wonderful attacking and defensive opportunities and is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And so the execution of defense on the LA Lakers and the execution of total football itself is complicated, but there is a single identity, which is very simple, um, that glues it all together. And I think reliability engineers can do can, can follow something similar, whereas a lot of reliability engineers will tell you they're awesome because, oh, I can do statistical analysis, I can do this, I can do that, I can do that, the other thing. But if we look at Carl, for example, I'd argue Carl's identity is preempting and preventing failures before they even become a thing. Mm-hmm. And his tool for doing that is for me is. But his identity is let's make our first design a reliable design. Let's prevent failures from ever happening. This is this is what I do. This is what I bring to the table. And yes, I've written a book on Vermeers, but the reason I'm doing this is to prevent failures or prevent root causes of failure ever getting into your design. And he's a very successful reliability engineer because of it. And I, so I think that for reliability engineers who are trying to make their way in the world, they have to establish their identity. Is it Holt-centric, which is there's plenty of successful reliability engineers who are all about Holt and they know what Holt can bring to the table. Is it um, manufacturing? Are you all about minimizing defects in manufacturing? I'm going to really work out how to squeeze every last defect-free product out of your production line. What is your identity? Um, what is it you're going to achieve? What is it you'll be able to say to someone, look, I brought this to your organization and this is the net value that my my genius um, helps you guys out with. And then under that, it implies you're a good communicator. It implies you know this, you know that. So I don't know if I've just rabbited on about something that's completely irrelevant to what you're talking about because I see it, I see it as somewhat related. You've got to work out what your identity is and all those things you propose as the bottom of the pyramid are key ingredients for you to um, reinforce your identity, not only to, only to yourself, but those around you. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as, as uh, purpose or identity or vision, um, or when you're describing these, you know, world-class leaders, the thread that comes through to me on those is they have a very clear vision of what they want to accomplish. And some are better at communicating it with their peers than others and, and to the world in general. And some of them figure it out, make it happen. Um, but it's, what are we trying to accomplish here? And I, I would add that there's this piece within organizations. If they don't know what they want to do and Carl talks about it, and I know you've talked about it is, well, what's the, what are you trying to achieve with your product? What's your mission? You know, what is, or, or vision, it, Carl calls it a vision. Um, and I think you had a different term for it is, is what is it we're trying to achieve? Where are we supposed to be in the market or what are, what problems are we trying to solve? Let's really understand what we're trying to accomplish here. And then what we do in reliability or electrical engineering or software engineering comes from that. And then I think what you just described is that within an organization that has a clear path or not, you can still have one for yourself or for your team and, right. and create that um, uh, anchor point for lack of a better term for it, or where you want, where you focus on what, what you see is going to make a difference. And so it then cascades into, you have to be able to communicate it and you have to be able to 
to capture the value elements of it. And then you have to have the skills to back it up. You got to have the, the chops to do the, the math and the tests and the environments and, and uh, calculations and everything else. But it, but that's missing from mine is the, the vision or the um, identity is the, I think the term you're using. Well, I think it's challenging too. If you want to become a better reliability engineer, you can, there's hundreds of textbooks, there's hundreds of courses. You can't do all of them in your lifetime. Um, you do need to prioritize. You do need to prioritize which ones you're going, which activities you're going to be a master of, and which activities you're just going to have a general awareness of. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have the identity or the vision of who you want to be or your def- definition of what success looks like for your career, it's hard to work out which course is the right course for you or which textbook do you need to gloss over and which textbook do you need to read every word in, in painstaking detail. Um, if you don't know what it is you're trying to achieve in your career or as your prefer- personal professional development path, well, then every path really will impossible. get you to where you want to be. <laughs> right. And any path will work because you don't know where you're going. And right. That, um, you know, part of that process, though, is also what's going to be of value? What will be of use to others? Um, you know, I might want to be the best accelerated test person in the world, but if I join an organization that makes, you know, uh, disposable toys, for example, that are expected the last six months, well, there's not a lot of work there for accelerated testing. You know, I, I, hypothetically, not knowing anything about the toy industry, but the the idea that'd be a fun that'd be a fun accelerated life test plan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but the idea is is that if if your skills are not a value to the organization that you're working with or trying to influence, well, then you got to pick something different. So I think it's, that's an evolving piece is given your circumstance and situation right now, um, what will be of use? What will be of value? So it's, there's like this, I'm picturing this Venn diagram is what do you like to do and what would be useful and what can you get support to do or something like that? Um, uh, and when those line up and that's an area that you are also, you know, very is- interested in or passionate about, then you got to think, then you develop an identity um, that you can become known for that. Um, unfortunately, I, if once you do two or three things with statistics in an organization, you get labeled the statistician and bring you, people <laughs> yeah, bring you guy. piles of bad data all the time. You know, so you got to be careful <laughs> sometimes. I, and I, I think that I, I'd interpret, well, the take I'd, because you're 100% right. You can't just go and turn yourself into a reliability engineer who's fantastic at reducing defects in manufacturing if your company doesn't have an in house manufacturing capability. That's just that, it's a waste not, of talent. Right. Unless you like working for vendors or suppliers. Right. So I think that, I mean, especially when you're young, you do need to do a little bit of let the current takes you where it may um you need to if you're going to become a reliability engineer you i do believe that you will do random courses without too much strategy and that's okay you'll just do the next course your company says you need to undertake in order to become level three or whatever whatever they think is awesome mm-hmm. um but there, i do think there comes a time where you then have to take 
ownership of your career pathway. Um, and to do that, you'd have to have an idea of where you want to go. So I, I do, I, I, I concur with, with what you're saying. You need to be valuable to your organization. And often that's when you're a junior engineer and you're trying to work out where you want to be. And I've seen plenty of reliability engineers who are anointed as reliability engineers and said, you're now a reliability engineer, go become one. And they didn't like it. And eventually the reality is that they need to go back to being a hydraulic engineer or move to another organization to be happy in life, et cetera, et cetera. And that's yeah. taking ownership of your career. Yeah. No. So part of the, this idea of this hierarchy stratifying it that way is that in it's, it's based, it's, Part of the thought process, made, I envisioned the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the two, the lower parts of the Maslow's hierarchy are, you know, life-sustaining things. You have food and shelter and basic necessities, things like that. And I think that's true for any engineering discipline. Is you need to know your way around the CAD program or the accelerated mm -hmm. test aspects of setting up an, a test or what is designed for reliability versus designed for Six Sigma, for example, and what's the fundamental tools and co concepts and philosophies and being aware of and being able to use the, the, the tools and techniques that are available for us. Uh, and then it, then it becomes as what's of most value. What do I need to be better at in order to add to be more useful is for a lack of a better phrase of it. Um, and then above that is to separate from being an adequate engineer to a great engineer. You got to be able to communicate and add value, things like that. And I, that's where I think the identity part becomes a pole for all of those other aspects of being able to communicate and being able to understand the business processes and being able to, to talk to the senior management team and the technicians on the floor and and influence other people and doing all those aspects that have an impact versus just checking off the box kind of activities. And I think having your an identity makes that incredibly easy. Um, again, if we look at like your sporting analogies, the total football and, and good solid defense, it, every successful sports team has had an identity. And that is a very simple thing they can say, this is what we do, but they spend the entire year training and drilling in plays and tactics to support that really simple um, overarching identity of who they are. And that's where you, you, you cannot really, in my opinion, you can't really embed complexity into an organization. If you, We've seen those horrific flow charts Look at the defense acquisition flowchart. Oh, yeah. That is, that is nonsense. It is, a human being cannot incorporate that, and those those it, those individual parts cannot somehow do their own thing and make that process work. It, no. You have to have a really simple identity. Amazon's another good example. They they, are, they know what they're doing, but they have all sorts of wonderful autonomous warehousing technologies, which are not simple, but they support a really simple identity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when you're trying to learn how to communicate, and it's all well and good becoming a better natural speaker, but that doesn't mean you're good at explaining something. You might be able to talk off notes, but if someone says, that thing you just said, I don't get that, 
And if you're able to walk over to a whiteboard and start drawing and say, well, this is what it means. I'm, I know I rushed over it, but if, if I have this and I'm able to start drawing on a whiteboard what that potentially complex topic is and they get it, that's not only communication, that's ex- being able to explain. And to be good at that, it re- you need to have years of experience and, and education and having an identity that helps you guide which thing you need to become a master of versus not can really help you work out how you need to explain stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's more more to that topic, but it's I've um, been trying to unpack it in my head at the very least. Okay. Well, it was just a thought. Um, I'll <laughs> <laughs> it's um, but it's I thought it it just rang true right through it, and I like the idea of the identity piece of it because that that's a turning point in from a career point of view or for your effectiveness in in part leadership, part uh, drive, part this is what you're doubling down on. Um, well, we'll give it some more thought. We'll see what we can come yeah. up with on that. Um, so anyway, if you're listening to this, and, and uh, unlike the last episode we recorded where we probably confused you, um, this one I really do want to hear your thoughts. What's your impression yeah. of this kind of structure of thinking through, you know, where do we focus our energies at different points in our career or as we develop our career or as we move forward, uh, as we master the different aspects of what we do, all of those things make a difference. And and that's kind of what I'm trying to convey in this, this hierarchy kind of structure. Um, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR, and you can leave us a voice message or you can leave us a written comment. Uh, Chris and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and or our about pages on the site. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. And uh, I'm really interested in what your impression is, is of this idea or thought process, or if you know of something similar to it, maybe I've you know, I didn't, didn't go do a literature search or anything, so I'm quite sure there's something out there. Um, let me know. I'd really appreciate that. All right. So I think we're up for the for the end of this one, Chris, and we'll probably head off to the rest of our day. We're recording on a Friday, so we can now we can relax and get into our weekend mode, I think. Whatever that is. That's right. <laughs> it just means we... Uh... We work when no one else is. <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah, that's what there is that. All right. Well, thanks much, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, Fred. Cheers. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.